Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comic books that have come out this week. Let's kick it off with what I'm sure we're all going to agree on. Inferno, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Valerio Shitty. Now, this is the kickoff of, I believe, Jonathan Hickman's final arc on X-Men, finally moving forward the plot that he began to tell with House of X, Powers of Ten, before he moves on to other projects with Marvel. Uh, so we're starting to wrap things up here, and uh, mild spoilers for the book, but let's throw it out there anyway. This is bringing together a lot of the villain threads with Orcus, Nimrod, other things that have been threatening X-Men since back there. Other words that Pete loves to hear. (laughs) Uh, Orcus, shout out to Nimrod. But the big thing that we're looping back with is Moira McTaggart, who we haven't really seen since this line officially kicked off after Powers of Ten wrapped up. It was kind of like the first thing that kicked it off. Yeah. So this is finally moving back to that story and moving it forward in a big way. What'd you think? Pete, you raised your hand with a question. Yeah. What what's happening? <laughs> um, so there's a lot of like a lot of shit going down. Right. I mean, but what was that whole Moira talk like? What was that? It's very simple. Can you explain that to me? It's very simple. Um, In the new Hickman universe, and I'm going to explain this to you as slowly as possible. Right. Uh, Moira Ictagger has a power where she's reincarnated, and she remembers her life from time to time. And she went through several phases of going through, enjoying being a mutant and not being a mutant, enjoying not being a mutant and trying to stop people from being mutants. And she, um, over the course of those lives, she learned that they had a right choice and wrong choice Mm -hmm. to make. And over the course of the beginning of Powers of Ten and uh, and, uh, and X, we learned that uh, she was able to affect the, the, uh, the Professor X and Magneto, and they're the ones that started this whole new um, uh, Krakoa thing. And so they, they, this is she's sort of the, the beginning of the thing, but she hates Destiny because of what we see in this issue where Destiny uh, does this thing with it's a very bad flames. Uh, and now th- that's where we're setting up with Inferno flames from the Destiny to, to her and, and back and forth. <laughs> I don't know so if you can do this one, Justin. <laughs> no, you're, this one actually is very hard. I can see you struggling a little bit because it is really complicated. There's a lot of information (laughs) that they need to lay out here in this issue because it has been a while since they've done this and it is complicated anyway. Went way off from where it started. Yeah, exactly. But I do think the short version actually is that the threat that Hickman has been building for the, since the very beginning is the robot annihilation of all mutant kind and potentially all humankind as well. That that's coming. There's different stages of it. He's explored it in different ways. But ultimately, no matter what they do, Nimrod comes, the, eventually the phalanx comes, and Nimrod absorbs the phalanx or vice versa, and it's the end of all sentient life in the entire universe. So that's what the, the threat that they're dealing with. Moira Metagert 
keeps reincarnating, like Justin was saying, and each time she tries something different. She didn't realize what was happening the first time, but she went through her life again. She's made different choices. She teamed up with Apocalypse in one timeline. She teamed up with Magneto in one timeline. But basically, every time she does this and dies, the entire timeline resets. It's not just her. So what they are worried about, she's tried something different here, which is said, hey, I'm going to tell you, Magneto and Xavier what's going on, and you need to not fight. So everything that we have seen in the Marvel Universe timeline so far is uh, that timeline with the of secret. Of all the two people to say not fight each other, you pick the two people who are Well, because they have always each fought each other. Yeah. She has never, the one thing that she never tried was teaming everybody up together to fight huh. this one great evil. What I think this Weird issue does. Weird that that wouldn't occur to her. Well, it didn't. It took her 10 lifetimes to do it. But here, what I think this is really effectively doing is two things. One, it's showing us that nobody is right here. Like, everybody is has double dealings. Magneto and Xavier are not doing the right thing. They're being shady with Moira. Moira is not telling them that the reason they need to wipe Destiny out of existence is because Destiny is the one person who can stop her, which kind of paints her as a little bit of a villain. And I really think, frankly, Pete, what this issue gets to is the core of what you and a lot of X-Men fans have had as a problem with this run is that the X-Men often are acting more like villains than heroes. And I think that's the point. Justin, were you getting that as well? Yeah, and what I think is uh, setting up Destiny here as this big To have a kid, right? I feel like is the... um, So we can get her child. What? Yeah. Destiny's child. He uh, he is. He's trying to find a foothold here, and he's got... (laughs) I think one. He's got a foothold here. Uh... I feel like um, that to me is what Inferno is. And if we want to talk about Hickman in general, it feels like he had a big overarching story in which Moira and uh, Professor X Magneto are sort of the main characters and the fate of the X-Men and by extension, the entire Marvel universe. He's doing this bit and then he's like, okay, I'm going to go do some other stuff. And I bet he's going to come back for whatever the final chapter is to end his story. Um, But to your point, Alex, um, I was surprised by how much Professor X and Magneto were like, uh, what do we do here? Should we be friends with the robots? And everyone was like, I don't know, man. What are you, what is this? (laughs) Well, also, I love the detail here that they keep attacking Orcus. And there's that great conversation in Orcus. We're like, why, why do they keep attacking us the same exact way? Wait a second. It's because they're dying and they don't get any of that information. They don't know why they died or how they died because they only know from a certain point in their backup. So that's interesting as well that particularly, and I mean, this is pretty obvious, but like driving this home and the fact that X-Men are mutants, they're all about change. The fact that this massive change they made actually led to stagnation for them is really fascinating. I don't know why this is Inferno yet, just because... It's not, it's decidedly not Inferno. No. Inferno, back in the day, favorite crossover, 
in X-Men history. I love this. The If you didn't read it, the whole idea of Inferno was literally hell on Earth. Like, Limbo comes to Earth, takes over New York. The Empire Staple becomes very tall and goopy, and it's gross. But the thing that I loved about that crossover is that every single X-Men team screwed up in a different way. And if one of them had not screwed up, Inferno would not have happened. But because all of them screw up in different ways at the same time, Limbo was able to get this foothold on Earth and takes over New York. And it was this massive crossover in all of the New York-based titles where all of them were like, whoa, this mailbox is trying to eat me. So it was very fun, very weird, very terrifying at the same time. I don't know what this title means here yet, but I guess we'll have to find out. So are are you having fun with this? I like this issue. I like Mm -hmm. getting back to Moira. I feel like she is the most interesting sort of mutant in the room here um, and sort of the only grown up. I like putting Professor X and Magneto on their heels because they sort of are and they're, they're never treated that way. They're just like idealists who are just like, we should just keep doing this thing we've always been doing. And Moira was like, no, we need to make some plans here, dudes. Let's get our shit together a little bit. And I, uh, I love the cliffhanger, too, just to spoil it right off. And if you don't want to know, turn away. But the idea that they're like, okay, we're going to just listen to Moira. We'll get rid of Destiny. We have this whole plan. Mystique doesn't know what she's doing. We'll trick Mystique really easily. And Mystique is like, you, you idiots. Mystique. Yeah. You absolute idiots. I am the best spy you've got in all of all of mutantdom. I know exactly what's going on. I'm five steps ahead of you. And then Destiny shows up at the end. And you're basically like, oh, they're screwed. Whatever is going to happen next, they are absolutely screwed. And that puts, again, that puts all of the X-Men characters in this place where for the first time in this run, we really don't know what's going to happen. Well, and I like also that Moira is positioned Wait. a little bit as a villain in this story and mm-hmm. Destiny as well. So, like, are you we s- don't know who to trust. Are you saying for the first time in this X-Men run, you don't know what's going to happen? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. The, we started no, off with these nothing crazy. about this X-Men run of late that you could have called at any point. There's it's no not point about calling like, oh, it. Oh, you know, this is where this is leading to? Fuck Island. This is okay. clearly... I want you I want you to listen back to our podcast from three years ago when mm-hmm. I said, X-Men is interesting right now that Matthew Rosenberg is writing it, but I'd really love it if two islands fucked each other. And <laughs> he did I, call I, the I, island I called that. Him. I said that. I remember. I will say, he, to be fair, Alex, you said that about Justice League. <laughs> you said that about... <laughs> Spawn, Walking Dead. It's like my thing. So when you make a call, a a clock, a broken clock is right twice a day. And you're a (laughs) broken clock that loves to see islands fuck. Uh, Pete, as long as you're reading all the maps and text pages, you should know exactly (laughs) what's going on. But wait, you haven't been doing that? Oh, wow. That's a huge shocker. Let's move on to something we can all agree on, which is the Sandman Universe Lock and Key Helen Gun number two from DC Comics IDW, written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez. In case you couldn't figure out the title, this is mixing the Lock and Key Universe and the Sandman Universe. But as we talked about with the first issue, and even more so with this second issue, this is a shockingly important piece of literature in the world of both Sandman and Lock and Key. And that yeah, the larger DC away. universe, yes, the DC universe, crazy. We get a big reveal about the demon Etrigan in this issue. Yeah. Yes, uh, this is fantastic as usual. But what did you guys think? What jumped out at you? I couldn't. Let's just okay, Pete, you go first. You go. First. I I couldn't stop 
I, I every time I tried to walk away and pick up another comic, I wanted to kind of go back and kind of leaf through because there is so much cool stuff happening in this comic. The art is unbelievable. You're getting all this great character stuff. This is such a cool story. And the having like these worlds collide in such a great way to tell this story. I just, I was just in awe. And I can't believe that Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez are just killing it so hard. It's just unbelievable. A rainbow, a child's first steps. The song in Mulan where uh, make a man out of you. Mm-hmm. These are the things that make people cry. Me cry. Uh, this book, still images on paper or <laughs> your computer screen. And, and, and I'm crying at one point. When they get into the slight yeah. spoiler, when they get into, um, I won't even say, a place and we see some characters, truly just got me. And like... The way that the that this team is able to put together, combine the Sandman mythology in a way that uses it, uses the whole Buffalo. We bring in uh, the Corinthian. We bring in um, uh, uh, Lucifer, Pete Lucifer, in a way that is, like, threatening. It's stressful. But we're using all the tools in the toolbox to just tell a great story and emerge on the other side. Just so good. Wow. Just but wow. Best book of the week. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. Let's move on to another one. Stranger Things, Tome of Yibwen, number one for Dark Horse Comics, written mm. by Greg Pak, art by hey! Diego Galindo. This is, as you can imagine, set in the Stranger Things universe. It is set after the events of season two, I believe, um, after Bob died. Oh, and it's Bob. dealing with the fallout of that as uh, they find a secret map that he left behind. I love this book. I think the Stranger Things books in general have been really interesting just because they can't really bring in a bunch of stuff from the upside down. So they have to create supernatural mysteries that are not actually supernatural. Uh, And here, this channels that perfectly. It feels very emotional through the character of Will. And the art was very good as well. So I was very impressed and surprised by this one. I hope that the people at Stranger Things read this comic and are like, we got to get this Greg Pak guy on our team because this is a great story. I think this At is, Stranger Things uh, corporate headquarters? That's right. <laughs> Stranger Things, Inc. Um, mm. I, I think this did is you, a great... Did you hear they had to return to office? They required yeah. them to return to office. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Oh, that's crazy. Especially yeah. with all the... Uh, have you heard the scare rooms are now laugh rooms? I mean, the... The turnaround is going to be unbelievable. You know what I mean? Are you making a Monsters, Inc. joke? What are you doing right now? (laughs) No longer a scare floor. I don't know what you're talking about. Very Um, often. So, so, yeah, I just, I, I think this is such a cool idea. You know what I mean? Like, use the guy from Goonies to leave treasure maps and have them have a Goonie adventure. Why the fuck not? This is awesome. Um. Here's the thing, though. Um, this is a decidedly not a Goonies adventure because he goes off all alone uh, yeah. without any help from his friends. I, I thought this was the most successful of the Stranger Things uh, spinoff series. This one feels the most uh, rooted in the story, but also in its own lane and still having the tension of the series. 
I agree. Uh, so it's good. So good great. stuff. Next up, Echo Lands number two from Image Comics by J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. Now, if you listen back to our live show a couple of weeks ago, we had the team on here and they talked about this wild, wild project. Now we're finally getting the second issue of it. Pete, I know you're a big fan of the first one. So what did you think about this one? I am just so impressed with the artistic choices that they're making. The pages, the layouts, it's like, it kind of reminds me of like really cool graffiti on the side of the subway car where there's stuff going on inside of it. Um, It's really. Wait, what? Are you tripping balls? I'm tripping my face off right now. Pete grew up in 1970s Harlem. That's right. Right. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, they have this amazing kind of like. Uh, paneling going on uh, and then just this um, unbelievable art happening inside of it. I just, uh, it's just so cool to see and to kind of like, it makes you just kind of like read it and then go back and look at it and appreciate the art. And then it's just, it's such a creative way to go about uh, reading a comic book. The way that the panels really like, there's just a depth uh, to some of them and like, it's sort of it's three dimensional in a way that most comics struggle with. Like you, as you're working through the the page, it's just like you're very much like it's an overhead shot, and then you're with the character walking across the page, and then all of a sudden it opens, and it's just like a Bunch. long hallway that is extends out into the distance. It's just it's a mind fuck in a good way, like that. It's like a puzzle box that you're just getting to sort of open up as you as you read. And the story, I don't know 100% what's happening in the story mm-hmm. story, um, but I do feel like stuff is happening, and I'm confident we're going to sort of unpack what is happening. Next up, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 74 from Marvel, written by Nick Spencer with Christos Gage, Sean Ryan, Zeb Wells, art by Marcelo Ferrari. Mark Bagley, Z. Carlos, Dion Neves, Carlos Gomez, even Ivan Ferrero, and Roberto <laughs> Ramos, yes. Todd Doc, now yes. Gustavo Duarte. There we go. So I know we've been kind of avoiding talking about this a little bit for two reasons. One, Pete goes on a rant every time we talk about it. Every two, single time. we've generally felt like this has been spinning its wheels for a very long time with the Kindred storyline, but. This is Nick Spencer's final issue on Amazing Spider-Man. It's bringing the Kindred thing to a close. We get some big reveals here, so I figured it was worth checking back in on it. Uh, should we lay out what the secret of Kindred is, I guess? Uh, yes. This is something that I think is going to really rock um, the Kindred establishment. So in back in the day... Back in the day. Back in the day, Norman Osborn made a deal with Mephisto for oh, Harry Osborn's soul in exchange. I think Mephisto created the clones of Gwen Stacy yes. and Norman Osborn's children yeah. right, that right. were never their children. So I believe that was the Sins Past storyline. That was retcon to never exist. But they are clones who keep dying and are controlled by Mephisto and are actually uh, two kindreds. There's two kindreds out there. And the reason for it that we find out Mephisto has been torturing Spider-Man for so long is not just because of Spider-Man. It's also because of Mary Jane. And the reason he wanted to break up their marriage is because their eventual daughter is the person who's going to finally stop him when he tries to take over the Earth. So 
that explains all of that, and I think we're good to go. Oh. Honestly, we uh, let me just pull the piece of paper we put in an envelope three years ago. So we wrote that exact <laughs> phrase down, Alex. We're Actually, geniusing. in my envelope, it says, I want to see two islands fucking. But uh, <laughs> oh. yeah. I should that have predicted that. Um, yeah, Keep this that was sealed. wildly convoluted. And I, the redemption of Harry Osborn, sure. Um, but Harry Osborn, a character that was sort of just like not really – on the table or and anyone's like, what's up with him before the kindred saga. Then he was tarnished by the kindred saga to be the bad guy. And then he's redeemed in this issue. It's all sort of like, she yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, and I guess, um, yeah, sure. Mephisto evil clone babies. Sure. Why not? Yeah. This is just totally insane. I did. Uh, one of the things I did like about this is the, kind of like shock of the clone babies being like, what you guys are fighting together. Uh, but they did so many horrible things. Like the fact that like, uh, Harry, uh, they were making like smart decisions in that fight was kind of cool, but man, that was a lot of lifting for that. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of Dr. Strange and Mephisto? Just like hanging. Just yeah. hanging at the, uh, you know, craps table. Just you shooting know. craps, throwing dice. Always bet on black, you know what I mean? I'll tell you what, it actually led to a lot of weird transitions in this comic book that felt very rushed, Where particularly where you went from traditional-looking Mephisto to cool Vegas Mephisto without yeah. much explanation of what the difference was or what was going on necessarily. So overall, there's some good art in this issue. I think the Mary Jane stuff, I'm glad they're together at the end. That was a nice surprise. Yes. But too much retconning, like so much retconning to the point we didn't even mention. It also brings in the robots who were pretending to be Peter Parker's parents at one point. So it's yes. so much continuity here. It's overwhelming and it doesn't become fun anymore is what I would say. Uh, I agree. Now, so that's fine. So we've moved past that era with this. Um, the Harry Osborn stuff where he sort of helps out at the end was fine. I thought it was nice. Um, what do we think about there's a, a, a couple stories here, one with like uh, Uncle Ben's buddy um, and then sort of a telling, a retelling of uh, the Spider-Man story, uh, which was fun. Um, what do you think of the reveal at the end with where we're going with Spider-Man? I... I don't know. I like the team that is coming on Spider-Man. I think they're all yeah. good writers. I'm excited to see what they bring in. I'm excited for a fresh start. I don't know why after an insane amount of retconning now, spoiler, but I think people probably know this, we need to bring back Ben Riley as well. It's a lot. One of the more retconned characters in all of Spider-Man history, the Clone Saga, and where it was like, Peter Parker, you're the clone. It was like, what? And everyone was like, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's bad. Uh, Ben's the clone. Uh, and then he's now the clone. And then we have a, he's back in the spider suit is the reveal at the end of this issue. So I, there's a lot of flirtation with the clone saga. Like people hated this, but now they sort of like it in like a retro way, like crystal Pepsi in a weird mm -hmm. way. I drink uh, that all the time. Yeah. We all, I put it on my cereal in the morning. Whoa. So I'm curious where, where we're going here. 
Hmm. We need what I guess what I'm saying is we need some clean slate Spider-Man stuff, and this feels like maybe not what I <laughs> maybe not that. I guess we'll have to see what happens. Let's move on to something that is a little bit more of a clean slate: Deathstroke Inc. Number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter. Here, Deathstroke is kind of trying to be a hero, maybe working with Black Canary yeah. and a couple of other folks fighting against a Bee Lady, and uh, this is fun. I had a fun time reading this. What did you guys yeah. think? I agree. The art is really cool. A lot of cool, creative characters. I thought this was cool. I like this. Um, yeah, very high pitched praise there from you guys. Um, yeah, we're not lying. <laughs> oh, I'm being serious. <laughs> Me too. Um, I like this uh, as well. Um, I want it to have some more separation from a character whose uniform looks a lot like Deathstroke's mm. um, from perhaps another company. Uh, so if we can move a further Captain away, America, from, they both yeah. have like the little scale thing going and on the boots, sure, sure, the, sure, sure. the big cuff boots. I and, thought you uh, were going to go, uh, more of a different direction. Like you want to see Deathstroke like more in the company side, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like behind the scenes, yeah. like what's a casual Fridays like in yeah, Deathstroke's what's his business company? plan? Yeah. 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 Is IPO going to go public? You, the book you want to read is Deathstroke LLC. Oh, yeah, that's, that's exactly okay. Right. Deathstroke Inc. is not okay. My you bad, know, my no bad. one has the balls to do an LLC. It's just someone trying to get by and being like, how do I publish an article when my uh, LLC gets completed uh, to make sure that the paperwork gets finalized? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's um, these are thoughts. the things that we, we need to. That's some real um, uh, deep cut on uh, how to file an LLC. Um, I just, <laughs> it, it feels a little Deadpool-y, and I'm ready to, I, I think it can be different than that. Undiscovered Country, number 16, from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Saul, art by Giuseppe Kevincoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. In this issue, we're continuing to explore the worlds of inspiration as they try to come up with a perfect original Americana thing. Here, they're exploring music. They meet a musical one-man band robot, who, of course, is creepy and there's something wrong with him. And uh, all the forces of creativity are closing in on them by the end. This is great. I know we've talked about this before, but I think this is my favorite arc so far of this book. Yeah, this really continues to be solid and so creative in such a interesting way. Like, I, I just think that, like, it's really hit a nice pace and, like, each kind of stage, I'm really looking forward to what the challenge is going to be and I'm kind of used to what this comic is now. So I get really excited when we kind of, this is in our stack and so far it's really been delivered. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, it does take a while, to your point, Pete, to really get the rhythm of this comic. And I think this arc really is like they're in the the part of um, this futuristic America that's all about just wild creativity. So it feels very natural that we're able to move into this thing where there's a music beast um, yeah. here uh, hanging out. So it really works. And it, it sort of has the – it feels like um, – the book is just about like letting any sort of creative juice just drive the action. And that's very rare to be like, we're just going to go off on a flight of fancy here into this music world where you have to sing to get in. And then you have to figure out, um, uh, sing to get in. Prince's guitar is hanging around somehow. Now I got to ask you guys, is your downstairs area a little more like an undiscovered country? Wow. If so, you know, Use your own inspiration. You felt this coming. I felt this turn of phrase, and I Mm -hmm. love it. 
Use your own inspiration with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. It's got everything your one-man band needs, if you know what I mean. Okay. You've got the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold oh, all of them so in, just like the boats that they ride around. In, it's, in oh, yes. Yeah. I do. Inspiration, Alex. I'm worried about perspiration. So tell me more about this ball deodorant. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I would love to do that. It is a ball deodorant. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Are there any notes on that one? I assume it's yes. just ball deodorant. Oh, yeah. The Crop Preserver ball deodorant to the Crop Reviver. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of language here we don't need to read. You oh, know what really? they are. Yes. I actually don't know what they are. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, I do know what that is. That clearly makes you smell nice. But the Crop Reviver, is that to grow extra pubes or something? No, no, no. I don't think so. Your because skin, you asshole. Oh, your skin. Yeah, because you're... You and they're know, not okay. creating some sort of chia situation <laughs> down there that you need to grow and then use the Weed Whacker, which uh, is waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary blade system, dual-blade system, um, to shave it back down. That's not what they're doing. You know who would love that? The light. You know who would love that is the Destiny Man would love that sort of thing. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? That's for the first arc. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. <laughs> Let's move on and talk about Thor number 17 for Marvel, written by Donnie Cates, Smooth art by transition. Michelle Banditti. Thanks, Pete. In this issue, Thor is going on a little hunting trip. Without Mjolnir, he's trying to figure out who he is without his hammer. He's hanging out with his dad, his sister, his mom. Everybody looks a little different in this issue. But the art, real good here, and I really like everybody's looks. What do you think about what's going on with the old God of Thunder? Uh, what I like about this is it it's taken on sort of a, a European comics look. Um, with the art style, and I feel like the storytelling is sort of matching it. We're exploring these mythologies. Uh, we're bringing in um, uh, we're bringing in Angela, the uh, character that has a storied history outside of the Marvel universe that is now a major part of um, sort of Thor canon, and really getting into just relationships. A lot of this, what happens in this issue, is just like great conversation um, between uh, different characters. So. I like the vibe here is feels very different from a lot of Thor we've seen and a lot of stuff we've seen in Marvel comics in general. So um, it's cool and different. Yeah. I love, I really like the art style. This is a kind of a fun, uh, uh, I mean the giant uh, cat with two Gatling guns, very enjoyable, Uh, good stuff. I like the mom and Thor back and forth stuff. So uh, I think it's cool and, and the art is is different enough where it's, it feels like a, a, a nice Thor store. We've had like a lot of different styles on Thor, but this is kind of a cool, lighter take that I'm very much enjoying. Next up, Die 20, number in, from, oh, number 20, woo. excuse me, from Image Comics, written by Karen Gillen, art by Stephanie Hans. This is the final issue of Die. Oh, wraps everything up in big fashion, which I was not expecting, to be honest, that this was going to be the last issue. But I think... It wrapped up really nicely. What about you guys? Yeah. I agree. I really love the way this came to a close, especially a book that 
I feel like over the course of it, we felt like, oh, this is going to be a sprawling epic. We're going to explore this world. And we did that for the first 10 issues. And then it's sort of like, uh, got sort of into this, like, oh no, we're actually coming up to the end game, uh, pretty quickly here. And that's caught us off guard, I think. Um, and then so much was happening to try to get the book there, get the story there. And then this issue dropped a lot of the sort of real hard information that feels like, that feels like is the driving part of the driving premise of this whole book. And I thought it was a great, great ending really made the whole book come into focus. Yeah. It was super powerful ending. Really awesome. I, I could have been in the world a little bit longer. I feel like there was a lot of rich story and character to explore. Um, so it's sad to end, but man, what a cool, badass, unique story that they told they got to start and finish and um yeah it's very impressive and ultimately it's them talking about role-playing gaming and that's what it comes back to i do think maybe i'm in the minority of the three of us here but it it felt like it meandered for a while in the middle there where i wasn't quite sure what was happening or where everybody was heading even though i really enjoyed the art here it really refocuses it on the place that i felt like it started with so ultimately tied up really nicely and well worth the read if you didn't check it out. Next up, Darkhold Alpha from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by C.N. Tormey. And here, Doctor Doom rediscovers the Darkhold. Scarlet Witch comes for him, assembles a team to take down Chathan, the bad guy that she's tangled Chithan. with. Chathan. Chathan? I don't know. One of the two. I, I like your pronunciation. Thanks. And that goes horribly wrong. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, some pretty gross designs at the end of the comic book. But this is a fucked up book, mm-hmm. Darkhold. Yeah. Not the comic book, the book itself. Where it's oh, like did you, you read can't... the Darkhold? Yeah, yeah what did, did you, you guys read? Oh, uh, yeah, no, I also read the Darkhold. Sorry, I've gone mad, and now my flesh <laughs> is goopy around my computer oh, devices. Yeah, no, I'm some sort of inside-out Iron Man, I think. Oh. Um. No, I love that they're like, you you read this book, you're going to go crazy. Unless you just read a little bit, then you're going to be fine. (laughs) Uh, Which is a fun sort of, oh, how much do I read, I guess? Just a couple words, maybe one chapter? It is hard to read this book and not think that it's Marvel very vaguely teeing up Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, right? Because we already have Wanda with the Darkhold in the MCU. She's taking it into Doctor Strange 2. There's been a lot of rumors about her being the villain there. Um, We didn't get anything messaging. We didn't get any mention, excuse me, of Chathan in WandaVision necessarily. But that seems like a place that they could potentially go in Doctor Strange 2. So, I don't know. It's never one-to-one, but I definitely think it's fair to look for clues here about potentially what's going to happen in the MCU. I I hear you, but I'm not going to fall for it again. I feel like it's going to be Agatha all along. Oh, man. Yeah, you say that about a lot of stuff in your real life as well. Yeah, well, once she fooled me once, and I don't want to fall for it again. No, but I think this is... uh, Orlando is a perfect kind of... A writer for this. It's weird in all the right ways and kind of really fits uh, his sense of humor and kind of like how he likes to write. So I'm very excited to see where this goes. It's kind of a interesting number one where it kind of leaves them all goopy and weird to be like, all right, what's going to happen next? Uh, actually, Pete, it's an alpha, so don't be confused. It's not a number I'm one. I'm sorry, what? It's, it's an, an alpha. alpha. What is it's that? It's Darkhold Alpha. 
It's like a zero issue type thing. It's like without saying. It's like an. It's like a symbol, not a number, but it's mm-hmm. also oh. a word, like Prince. So there's no number. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's like yeah, it's like Prince. Okay, yeah. Darkhold the the book the comic book formerly known as Darkhold. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, but real quick, I actually did like this, and the the twist that we get at the end, I thought, was great and interesting, and definitely worth picking up. Agreed. Yeah. The Good Asian Number no. Five from Image Comics, written by Pornsack Pinochet, art by Alexandre Tefengi. In this issue, we're getting a lot of flashbacks about our main yeah. character, finding out where they Finally. came from, how they came to be a detective yeah. that we've been following over the past four issues. This is great. This where comic continues to be came great. From yeah, this I, is. Oh, go ahead. I thought this issue, this is my favorite issue of the series uh, by far. I thought it really just brought all of the drama together, the Romeo and Juliet style story here, and really gave us everything we need to uh, be fully on board with everything. Yeah, it, it's it's impressive that uh, the, they waited this long to really kind of give us the main character backstory and how the scar happened and all that kind of stuff. So it's really awesome. Uh, to kind of know all this. It gets you excited about what's going to happen next. But again, I can't say enough about the art and the the way that they do the kind of shading and stuff for different time periods. It's really, really impressive looking comic and, and such a cool story. Next up, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 30 from Marvel, written by Saladin Ahmed, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, Kemp Powers and Jeff Loveness and Cody Ziegler. Art by Carmen Carnero, Sarah Pacelli, and Anthony Piper. This is a big anniversary 10 years for Miles Morales. He's got a new costume, a new love, old villain going on here. And there are a couple of backup stories, including from the guys behind Into the Spider-Verse. Pete, I believe this was one of your favorite issues of the week. Why is that? Why did you like it so much? Yeah, I just thought, like... The first kind of story we got was such a cool, just kind of classic Spider-Man of like him being like, oh, I've got to be in two places at once, kind of like Justin's life. And uh, but just like the sorry, fact I that- was just on another podcast. What were you oh, guys? Oh my god, yeah, nothing. <laughs> but just the fact that like the fact that you know Spider-Man is always pulled to do the right thing, and even though like he really doesn't have time to go find these two twins. Uh, dog uh, and does you know what I mean it's just this kind of like hero Bubba. sacrifice that we see all the time yeah Bubba um, that we see all the time and uh, also I like the rooftop kind of uh, the way it ended you know with the kind of last panel reveal classic felt like a really just fantastic Spider-Man story and I, I, I have it's been a while since I've gotten a really great uh, Spider-Man story that I felt awesome about so this was really cool it's funny you say that, Pete, when we, we talked about another Spider-Man story in this very stack. Um, but I think the comparison is 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 apt because this feels like Spider-Man. fresh, young Spider-Man, the Spider-Man that we've all like. Fresh, young, <laughs> delicious. <laughs> well, but, but I mean that in, in a many ways. Nubile, young Spider-Man. No one's saying that. No one's saying any of those words. But I just He's like two islands fucking in a costume. <laughs> oh my god. Alex, that's a, oh god. uh becoming a slogan almost. The, <laughs> the the Peter Parker issue, the amazing Spider-Man issue that we read earlier, mired in continuity, sort of like what's exactly going on? You don't really get to spend a lot of time with the character. This issue, you're with the with Miles the whole time. You're seeing Spider-Man be Spider-Man. It feels more just approachable and and interesting, I think. What 
What do you think about his new costume, his new comfortable costume? Uh, I like it. It's sort of retro. Oh, I said it like that because what I think is interesting about it is we've gotten used to, as comic book fans, oh, of course, they need to wear wear skin-tight spandex when that's maybe one of the worst things that you could wear when you're being a superhero. And wearing a comfortable costume that you can get around in seems like a much better idea. Yeah. I I agree with you in comfy hoodie. In real world crime fighting, vigilantism, which is sort of our last frontier, guys, by the way, Mm -hmm. is we need to go out and fight some crime. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, we'd be really successful, I think. Checkmate number four from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael (laughs) Bendis, art by Alex Believe. In this issue, I'll just throw this out there. I felt like we were finally getting to it in this issue. There's been a lot of Bendis dancing around. Leviathan's a bad guy. What are we going to do about it? We're spies. Let's stand around and talk about it. And there's still a little bit of standing around and talking about stuff, but there are multiple fight scenes in this issue drawn by Alex Malieve that I thought were awesome. Just really well staged. Very cool to see. Particularly Green Hour versus Merlin was very cool. And it ends on an interesting note here where we don't necessarily know what's going to happen to these, uh, these characters as well as potentially a character redefining note for Lois Lane in this issue. Pete, you seem to be into this as well. What's going on? Yeah. Oh, my God. This was such a fun issue. Just some really powerful, awesome character moments. The line that Lois says, you would do it for Batman? And then Superman says, I'm not married to him. And she's like, aren't you? Oh, that to me, that to me was the line of the issue. That was unbelievable. And then there was another line that was like, you sound like a lawyer. And then they're like, I am a lawyer. And then the guy in the background's like, I might need a lawyer. Just fun. Just this is just kind of like classic Bendis writing. That's fun. You have these character moments that are really kind of cool and a bigger kind of story going on. Uh, Yeah, I love the ending. I, I. This really uh, got me more excited for this uh, for for checkmate. So I think they, they this is a great issue for me. Like I like that line a lot. I feel like what Bendis has become as a writer in his sort of the phase since he moved to DC is someone that you can still see the flashes of just great dialogue moments, but the story still to me feels like it's treading water. It feels like they're still like we gotta get like honestly we gotta get this guy. Like, really, this guy's out of control. And then that's what they talk about. For yeah, and they're like, oh, man, we're probably sitting ducks here. We should probably do more bits about nano nanotechnology. Nobody blood, likes right? nanotech. Yeah. But it just it just feels that way. Like, similar criticism to what we had about Amazing Spider-Man for a long time. It's like, yes, we are here. We're here with you. Um, let's go. Yeah. Next up, well, let's talk about something that I think I'm going to guess you think is moving through pretty quickly. The Department of Truth, number 13 from Image Comics, uh-huh. written by James Tynan IV, art by Martin Simmons. In this issue, we get some big reveals Huge. about not exactly what is going on, but what might be going on with Black Hat, the organization that's going up against the Department of Truth. Justin, talk about this one. Uh, 
Love this book. One of my favorites on the stand uh, every time it comes out. And this, um, yeah, we've had, we followed our main character sort of going into the Department of Truth and then Black Hat, sort of the enemy of Department of Truth. And in this issue, we really learn that maybe both are bad. A lot of members of Black Hat um, were, used to be in the Department of Truth, broke off, um, and they're, the system is bad and the people trying to destroy the system are bad. So where does that leave us? And I think that's such a a strong message right now in our lives, in our world, where I feel like a lot of people feel that way in their lives. So I feel like capturing that feeling in this book is amazing, while also being able to have this character going through this like nightmarish childhood fantasy that has become reality and putting him in a position to make a choice that is uh, very difficult. This book is just, is just great. Yeah, it's very interesting. You kind of have this... A lot of it's kind of like revealed in this issue as far as like the main character's wants and and you have this character who's like, I've been with you this whole time and now shoot me in the shoulder, you know, and it's kind of like, what? But I, I, I do love the create creativity behind this book and the uh, just the art and the huge swings that it's taking. So this is continues to be a lot of fun. I wish I spent less time scratching my head and wondering what was happening, but I am very impressed by it. Pete, if I said to you, and we were in a similar situation, like, Pete, I need you to shoot me in this show, yeah, would I get to finish shoulder you know, before you, you took the shot? Uh, tap you twice, bro, <laughs> just to make sure. Wow. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's Only one talk. shot is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to say that early. Let's talk about Amazing Fantasy number three from Marvel by Kare Kyle Andrews. In this book, we've got Black Widow, Captain America, and Spider-Man, from all from different eras, seemingly died and ended up in this fantasy land where now they're all in the same place, finally meeting each other in this issue, in the middle of a battle scene. In particular, I thought there's some great stuff here with Captain America in this issue. I'm very intrigued to find out what's going on to this title in total, but what about you guys? What's your take? I like this a lot as well. I think uh, Kari Kyle Andrews, the work is just so uh, different and the art's really interesting and the story's always something where I don't know exactly what to expect. And it's always it always goes in an interesting and fun direction and uh, I'm not disappointed here as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's... Uh... Oh, sorry. Did someone did a grandma's rocking chair land on a cat's tail there for that? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Like I go back and forth. You know, some of this is fun, some of it's weird, and then you got a baby that screams war, and then we all fight. I, I what? Yeah, babies okay. scream war. Oh, that's I, why I, you I, fight. That's okay. how World War Two started. Oh, you know, P, I, see, I, I don't have kids, so I don't know. You're not a things. parent, yeah. So yeah, babies yeah. scream more a lot, and whenever they do, you, you got to fight. fight. It's yeah, like Mortal Kombat. If somebody yells Mortal Kombat, you just got to fight. Yep, exactly. You got to rip out somebody's spine quick, or it's going to be your spine, is what I always say. Next up, be, be careful. <laughs> don't call for a babality unless you really want to raise them. Oh man, <laughs> that's oh, how I God. have two kids. You get two babalities. <laughs> two babalities. Wow. <laughs> yep. Good one of my you. children. One of my children is uh, Sub Zero, who was <laughs> turned into a baby. And the Do other you know one which Scorpion, one it right? is? Yeah. Yeah. The I can always tell apart. The one with yeah. the yellow costume is Scorpion. The one with the yeah. blue costume is The one Sub-Zero. whose first well, words it, is, get over here. That's the joke I was going to make, kid. I love it. <laughs> 
crossover, clear crossover between you guys, and also crossover oh, with our next uh, comic book crossover number eight, um, Image Comics, written by Donnie Cates, art by Jeff Shaw. This is picking up on the big cliffhanger from the last issue, where he found out our main character was not actually a human being, but actually from the comic book world herself. Here we're dealing with the ramifications of that, as well as, I would argue, a twist in perspective. Where we're moving from her perspective to the perspective yes. of uh, the guy who kind of has been the villain of the book so far. This continues Ron. to be so meta, very creative, very interesting, and also there's great cameos from the Powers characters here as well, yeah. which is a lot of fun. It's very meta, and I want to find a a reality to keep my feet in when we're going into the meta stuff, because everything is meta. It's like having a comic with an unreliable narrator. We have a comic with where everything's a little meta, so it's hard to tell what what's happening. And maybe that's the switch in perspective to, I think his name is Ron, and what he's dealing with feels like maybe that's where we can sort of be rooted. Yeah, I just feel that, like... Um it's really creative and really awesome and I'm enjoying it, but also like it's so meta that I'm questioning what's going on. It was, it was crazy to me that I'm looking at yellow lined paper and it's doodles. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they're beautifully done and are really artistic, but it's just kind of like, uh, it's, 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 I don't know. Are you okay? I, I want to get Are you into it. Cry, Pete? No, I want to get into it more than I am allowed to. It feels like. Ooh, sorry. I said Ron. Ryan. Ryan is what I meant to say. Okay. Well, here's something you are allowed to get into, Pete. Berserker number five for Boob Studios, written by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kent, art by Ron Garney. This title is kicking off, I believe, its second arc with this issue as we plumb more into the background of whatever the character is actually named. I just keep calling him Keanu Reeves. And uh, we find out more about his history with love. Pete, Uh, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is what everybody's love story is like. You know, you see someone and then the family wants you, you know, torn to bits uh, using the old uh, four horses in four different directions. And then your guts are laying on the ground. You're just like, why did I follow my heart? But uh, I think this is a very, I mean, the, the art's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a fun kind of all over the place action and we're kind of getting a little bit more about the main character i'm i'm having a great time with this book yeah the the backstory work here in this comic i feel like judging a book by its cover it was like oh this is going to be like a keanu reeves like character just like shooting people and like fighting people the whole time yeah well i nothing but each issue adds depth in a new way and this issue getting into sort of the price of uh, love for if you are immortal, essentially, um, from this perspective, I thought was just really well done. Next up, a long-awaited title that's been away for, I think, well over a year, maybe longer at this point, Adventure Man number 5 from Image Comics, written by Matt Fraction, art by Terry and Rachel Dodson. This is actually wrapping up the first arc of this book. Is the new Adventure Man embraces her legacy along with her ginormous extended family. This is very fun. I'm glad to see this title is back. I just have a good time reading this. 
Well, the art's amazing. Um, and I, what I, one thing I really liked about this, um, in the opening sequence, which is sort of separate from the action, I feel like we get the best breakdown of why heroes don't kill yes. in comics um, yes. in a long time. And this is something that I think we talked about last week or two weeks ago where it's like, we get it. We don't need to hear the explanation over and over again about why Batman doesn't kill or whatever. Um, and this had a sort of a more philosophical underpinning in a way that yeah. was like, this is the, what I need to hear from all these characters about why they don't kill. The, it um, was the so knife definitely guy worth picking was up so, for that alone. yeah, the, I love that part so much. I was like, Oh, yeah. don't leave me knife guy. You're the, but you're so much fun. Uh, it was so cool to have it so cleanly stated in a way that kind of really was understandable and said so much about the character. Um, but yeah, to Alex's point, this is a lot of fun. Unbelievable art. This is just like a very cool story. Um, yeah, and just kind of a badass uh, main character, kind of like uh, figuring things out. So great time. Next up, Something is Killing the Children, number 20 from Boob Studios, ah. written by James Tyner the Fourth, art by Werther Daria. This is, I believe, closing up the second arc of the book, and potentially the book for the moment as we spin off into a House of Slaughter book that is coming next month. This is showing us our main character as when she was young, when she joined the House of Slaughter. I really like this arc a lot. I thought it was very emotional, very well done. The art is gorgeous as always. What about you guys? I I think this is so cool. It's kind of like this Harry Potter sorting house thing, you know? Like, yeah. I'm excited to get more different houses to see what kind of house... You know, I would fall into, or you guys would fall into. Which so. do you think, Pete? What sort of handkerchief would you wear? Uh, would you be well, a killer of dragons? Yeah, the emerald mask. Uh, the most dangerous hunters in the order. Come on, there are only like two of them. That's Is me. It? One of the two. Wow, dragon high man. estimation of yourself, Pete. Dude, I'm I'm going after the big the big. What hunt. was the What was the clerical house? The ones who were like. Hanging out on computers Azul, all day. I think there was the Azul one, yeah. Oh, they put their um, handkerchiefs in their uh, jacket pockets. <laughs> uh, they don't the wear one. them that's across the their faces. I like how you went like this to make glasses gesture and then went, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> House of Nerds. Oh. House of um, uh, uh, Carpal Tunnel. Uh, <laughs> the I agree. I love this a lot. And... I if this spins off the House of Slaughter and is its own title, like I'm here for it. I feel like this arc does such a good job of establishing that world and these characters. I'm ready to just read about them and and the main story can continue in the main book. I, yeah. I agree. I really like the way we got to spend some time with some other characters. And I yeah, I just I really loved how this ended and like how the kid was like, I knew you'd be back. I, I think this is such a I think they did such a great job of building this world out in the right order and uh, getting us kind of like really involved and then kind of like slowly give us the information about the main character. So it's, cool. So many books do a flashback where it's just like, yeah, we're just doing this to give you a little bit of information that we can then use for the, the rest of the story we're already telling. And this book feels like it's like, no, no, this is the story too. This is, mm-hmm. I want, this is part of we want to experience all of this and then we'll go back to another time period. And that's, that's really cool. Very exciting. It's unbelievable. Last book to talk about children of the plague. Number one from dark horse comics by Robert love. This is set in a future world where 
A woman is forced to fight monsters. She's not going to live for much longer. I believe two years is what she says several times. She says it a lot. And she is fighting to keep her brother out of it. Doesn't quite work that way. We got some big fight scenes here. Pete, you're a big fan of fight scenes. Were you also a big fan of this book? Yeah. What's interesting is like, it's hilarious where she was like, I'm protecting my brother so she doesn't, he doesn't have to fight. And then it like cuts to this monster of a person where it was like, pretty sure that guy was born to fight. Uh, looks like he was always a fighter. But it turns out like the, the artist kind of made this like very innocent looking face on this giant mountain of a man, which I think is a helps to kind of like explain this narrative. Uh, but yeah, it's got to be a, a <laughs> they, heartbreak. Also helping to explain the narrative is the words that explain that they genetically manipulated him. Overrated yes. words. Okay. Words are overrated. Right, the, right, right, the, right, right. The art is really what's telling you what's going on. Oh, okay. Justin, what did you think about this one? Uh, I think this was fun. I don't know too much. This feels like a larger world that I don't know about. Um, so I'm curious what... Um, what it all amounts to at the end. I mean, I think this is the kickoff here is the idea here. And the fight scenes are big and gross and it does seem like there's more on its mind politically, at least. So I am curious to see, this is a one shot. I'm curious to see whether there is going to be more of it and whether we will follow it going forward. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. And now it's time to light the candles, turn on the music, and see if these two islands are going to fuck. Oh, I'm very interested to find out. Love